Good to see so many of you on Super Bowl Sunday. I have the 5.30 Mass. <clears throat> Father Monsignor Laughlin actually canceled out, probably going to a party, and so I will be there with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So um, pray for me if you want to come back and get some extra graces or something. You know, if you turn on the news today, we often see regular installments of what I call gotcha moments. Seems that the press is on a manic search these days for often out of context or at the very least historical sound bites or pictures that discredit a politician, an entertainer, a police officer, a Catholic high school student, a bishop, or even just a normal citizen. And then come the labels, sexist, a racist, a homophobe, and on the other side, a socialist, a communist, or at the very least, he or she is anti-American. It's really kind of getting on my nerves, frankly, and it seems unique to our time until we reflect on this weekend's readings. Our gospel shows us and follows last Sunday's account of Jesus' reading the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue at Nazareth. And when he was finished, as we hear today, he sat down and announced, this text is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am the long-awaited Messiah. And up to this point, everyone in the, in the synagogue was transfixed by his preaching. The hometown boys seemed to be the bomb. As St. Luke says, he won the approval of all, and they were astonished by the gracious words that came from his lips. But the mood starts to change with an ancient gotcha moment. That is, after the most profound statement of human history, when Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah and articulates his mission to bring glad tidings to the poor and liberty to captives, there is the bombshell. Someone says, hey guys, isn't that just Joseph's son? In other words, this isn't someone special. He doesn't have any credentials. He's just a carpenter. Do not take him seriously. We don't have to listen to him. He's an imposter. And suddenly the people turn against Jesus, prompting him to, to say, I tell you solemnly, no prophet is ever accepted in his own country. Further, he reminds them that Elisha and Elijah were also sent to minister to non-Jews, indicating that while his ministry will be among the chosen people, he also has a mission to the Gentiles, perhaps because many of the chosen would close off their hearts and minds to him. So they got him. Because his pedigree doesn't match his claim in their minds, the people of Nazareth don't want to hear another word. And they attempt, as the end of the gospel reading says today, they attempt to throw him over the cliff. So Jesus' homecoming ends up spectacularly unsuccessful, a pattern that will often be seen during his ministry that will lead, as we know, to his suffering and death. We don't know who it was that attempted to diminish Jesus in the eyes of others by calling him just the son of blue-collar Joseph. It was probably a village elder. After all, the elders had potentially the most to lose if Jesus turned out to be the Messiah, especially when you consider that much of his teaching is about lifting up the poor and stripping the powerful of their domination. Yes, they realize very quickly that in the kingdom that Jesus proposes and preaches, they will soon lose. And so they go on the attack. 
You know, if you are a committed Catholic and Christian today, this type of incrimination is something that you've experienced most likely while preaching the gospel today. Many dismiss or even attack Christianity and Catholicism in particular today. Many don't want to hear of anything that strips us of power or the ability to do what we want. So many don't really want to hear from Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, or about his mission, or about his teachings, or about his claims. Sometimes today we even experience cultural Catholics Men and women who fashioned Jesus after their own image and likeness. If you follow the news this past week, you heard of politicians, many of whom claim to be Christian or even Catholic, who reject, for example, the constant teaching of the Catholic Church regarding the dignity of every human person, most especially preborn children that are almost full term. That's outrageous. As we heard today from the prophet Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. We are reminded that each of us, regardless of the circumstance in which we were born or conceived, is unique and unrepeatable. There will never be a person just like you. From all eternity, God has planned you and every other human being in the human family. Though we might have to struggle through pain and difficulty, we remember where we've come from. That from all eternity, God has willed us, each of us. That before we were born in our mother's womb, God had a plan for us. And finally, we remember where we're going. That is, life is not the end. We have hope that God has an eternal plan for us. So when culturally Catholic politicians reject a fundamental teaching as they did this past week, many call on the church leaders to censure or excommunicate them. The terms of such a penalty is the task of canon lawyers, not a parish priest. But before we wag our fingers at the disgraceful actions of these supposed Catholic politicians, perhaps we should consider our own descent. What about the growing tolerance of euthanasia. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to some friends of mine in Catholic friends in northern Indiana that talked about the death of his father, and they talked about discontinuing treatment and care. They stopped nutrition and hydration. That is euthanasia. What about our common, sometimes support of some things like capital punishment or our tolerance of starvation. I recently read the appalling fact that half of the world is overweight while half of the world is starving. What about our unwillingness to acknowledge and lobby our legislators for reasonable solutions to this ongoing immigration problem? What about our tolerance of the attacks on the institution of marriage and our modern-day sloppiness about the beautiful gift of human sexuality, our tolerance of cohabitation and pornography, to name only a few? This is by no means an exhaustive list of our modern challenges in living up to the gospel. But when we reflect on this list, we know that as a Catholic community, we have grown quite accustomed to picking and choosing, picking and choosing. We have also selective outrage. All of us, all of us have room for repentance 
and to be more converted to Jesus Christ and his church if we are to authentically call ourselves Catholics. Instead of condemning our neighbors and looking for the next scandal, St. Paul calls us to encourage others, for love is patient and kind. It is not jealous or pompous. It is not inflated or rude, and it doesn't seek selfish interests. It is not quick-tempered, nor does it breed, brood over injury. It doesn't rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth of the gospel. But what about those who institutionalize dissent in their lives, turning their backs on God and what has been deemed as the truth of the gospel, or what is sinful? I think we need to stop looking for someone higher up on the food chain, a bishop or a cardinal or the pope, to punish, to send. Rather, all of us must have the personal integrity to refrain from the sacramental life, to refrain from Holy Communion when our personal beliefs contradict so boldly the gospel until which time we have been led to repentance. Reception, in other words, of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist is not a right, and it is not like a soft teddy bear that we come to get every week. It is about receiving Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, our Messiah and Lord, so that we will have the grace to be Jesus in a broken world. Jesus himself warned his disciples that conflict and struggle would inevitably happen in the world. This is why John Paul II, who penned the phrase, the culture of death, to describe the many assaults against human dignity, also reminded us that prayer and contemplation must be at the heart of the church. And he reminded us of the urgent need for the new evangelization in the church to reestablish in Catholic communities the truth of the gospel. We heard about Jeremiah in our first reading today and Jesus in our gospel who exercised that prophetic ministry. Because of our baptisms, we are called to the prophetic ministry of Jesus Christ as well. Each of us has been given a mission a task by the Lord to live the gospel and to be utterly convinced by it and enthusiastically spread the good news as the anecdote to the spiritual diseases that ail us in the present age. Let us this week think about what it means to be Catholic, not only in name, but most especially in fact. Amen.